The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 129. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Discovery's latest episode from Star Trek Discovery called Scavengers. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, folks, we would ask you to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community of listeners and reach out to more Star Trek fans. The more uh, listeners we have, the better the show becomes. It's a fact. So we would really appreciate it. The main way we have of getting the show out to new listeners is when you recommend it to others. So we really do appreciate that. All right. So as I mentioned, this is called Scavengers. It is the uh, fifth or sixth episode. Sixth, sixth. sixth episode of the season, I think. Or at least it's it's production number six. Uh, they 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 play with the production numbers, but uh, we're well into the season now, and uh, we start with uh, you, we, now that the VAT Federation headquarters they've been accepted into back into Starfleet uh, Discovery, which is now nine hundred years old, needs to be upgraded <laughs> a little bit. So, so they retrofit it. They retrofit it now. This is the thing I'm wondering: Was Discovery visibly retrofitted? in the short track Calypso? Uh, because no, it still looked like the original 1031, NCC 1031. There was okay. no A on it at all. Well, but it's, hmm. no, that's what I mean. It's like the, the most visible upgrade is these detached nacelles, right? Right. Do we, do we know? I, no, I don't I mean remember. Is, what I mean is they use, they use the original Discovery model. They didn't show it as a, as a, a retrofitted this, ship. Okay. Okay. Uh, they didn't they can change. always fix. They can always fix that in one way or another. Right, right. That's right. They can just put it back. Sub in new visual effects. That's true. Well, we we still don't we still don't know for one hundred percent sure that that short trek is you know this timeline or something like that. You right. Know? That's true. They can always mess. Think, with that. They could, but I think we're meant to understand that. Yeah. They will have a lot of mad fans if it's if that's not what they're <laughs> heading for. You, yeah. Like you can't just like yeah. You can't just start kicking well, things out of timelines and like this is all this is it, you just get you're getting this, yourself this into a Doctor potential Who. world of heart. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you gotta. I mean, the Kelvin timeline is already a problem. Let's let's just just uh, uh well, and, deal with that. I mean, I mean to to, to be fair, to do kind of counter argument is they could say, well, because it's now this living matter that can do things like cause the warp nacelles to to separate and stuff like that. That the spear data. Once it took over Discovery, decide, you know what? I want to look like I did when Discovery was brand new. Yeah, that's possible. Now, I mean, it could be as simple as that. Speaking of timelines, just a tiny bit of a digression. There is speculation among fans that when Discovery jumped forward, it went, it moved to the Kelvin timeline. The This is the mm. timeline of the J.J. Abrams uh, movie and following. What do you think of that? Does it matter? Does it make a difference to us? 
if that's what gets you through the night, fine. But they haven't established that um, yeah. in any way on screen, and the licensing deals would would suggest the opposite. Right. And and you know, well, I mean, in this episode, you see a TNG era phaser. That's right. So I mean, one of the scraps was a TNG era phaser. That's I mean. I, there's a lot of fans who they want so badly that Discovery is not canon of the TOS TNG DS9 Voyager timeline. Right. Sorry, folks. <laughs> it is. Deal with it. Okay. Yep. Until they say otherwise on screen. That's the way. That's the way it is. All right. Uh, so we we begin with this meeting of Starfleet captains in Starfleet headquarters. Admiral Vance handing out assignments. Uh, it's like, a, it's like an episode of The Office where Michael's handing out new assignments at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, Discovery is not being sent off to one of these uh, distant places to do a job. It's staying put. And it, it's actually a valid military reason. Mm -hmm. Discovery yes. can go anywhere at a moment's notice. Therefore, you are a, are a quick response force. You are a rapid response yep. ship. Uh, I, I like Saru. He's like immediately it's like. Uh, Admiral, we could do all these missions and be back in time for tea. Why aren't you using us? <laughs> right. You know, it, and so I do like that. And, you know, and also uh, Vance has apparently just revealing now to anyone else about the the spore drives existence and uh, the the potential ramifications. That is a huge strategic advantage that they now have and need to reverse engineer, frankly, for the rest of their ships. And he tells he tells them the other captains to keep it to themselves that it's not to go out of this room, right? Which really is not the way you conduct a classified briefing, but whatever. <laughs> They're pretty informal in Starfleet. Apparently, now they yeah. are. Now that there's like eight of them. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, there is a an, an, uh, also a scene where the crew is getting their new hollow badges, their new badges that are Mother now boxes. Yes, uh, they're. Um, Communicators, tricorders, and personal transporters all in one, which... As well as pa holographic pads, yes. which, yep. which I was not impressed with. Because right. they, when they put it in pad mode, so that's the equivalent of an iPad. Yeah, and yep. and they they tap the thing on their chest, and it puts out this big holographic display two feet from their face, right? Yep. Or eighteen inches from their face. It it I understand. All of these, all of these three D wave your hands around displays are nonsense. Um, they're meant to look cool, but you wouldn't really design an interface like that. Um, Not practical. What? Yeah. yeah what? Yeah. What they would have, if anything, would be that it, it, either something invasive of your biology, mm -hmm. or at least you know you like a cyberlink in your head, or they would have. Um, holographic heads up contact lenses right but, but this this display is there for us to see as an audience but i don't think the visual effect is successful it's not all that great like better than anything else we've already seen yeah yeah also if you're just slapping this thing on your chest i mean that made sense in the tos era in the tng era when it's just functioning mm -hmm. as a communicator yeah but now that it's a mother box um and that reference is from comics. It's from Jack Kirby's New Gods Fourth World series. Motherbox mm. is a living computer that can do anything you need. Yeah. And mm. when the first iPhone came out, I said, "This is Generation One Motherbox technology." Right. <laughs> so, so this is a this is a few generations later. But if all you're doing yeah. is slapping this thing on your chest, how does it know what mode to go into? 
Well, they, they, no wonder. They, they do it. They do show it like their hand gesture. So like when they want to do the iPad mode, they move their hand, you know, they touch it and then move away from it. But if you're Sicilian, you know, it doesn't as, work. As it's blast. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because you're constantly moving constantly your hands. Turning you're it constantly turning it on. Going in and out, in and out, in and out. <laughs> yeah. Well, no wonder Linus has trouble with it. I love that yeah. the rest of the episode, Linus is like personal transporter jumping around the ship like crazy. <laughs> and, and first, first couple of times, he's kind of chuckling by the, the end of the episode. He's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he he's getting frustrated. He can't get where he's trying to go. Yeah, I thought that, that, that was that was funny. <laughs> Read the manual. Um, so they, in the midst of all this, Booker's ship shows up. Uh, Cleveland well, Booker. We, we should we should mention why the uh, discovery is not given a mission today. It's because oh. the, Vance needs them to stay at Starfleet headquarters to serve as a rapid responder because there is a tense situation with the Emerald Chain, Orion Andorian criminal syndicate thing yeah. yes. and that may blow up at any moment. And if it does, they need to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Right. That's right. right. They have uh, for, for it, 12 hours, it, by the way, for 12 yeah. hours. And it sounds like that the Emerald Chain is this sector's... Big bad syndicate of the, yeah. the uh, Orions and, and Dorians, so that, which leads, of course, the idea that there are probably other Crime. other groups, other mobs of right. them somewhere else. Crime families, basically. That's yep. if you want to think of it, think of the mafia. Like they have their areas of control. Uh, so yep. So uh, I was saying, Booker Ship shows up without him on board, and uh, he's left a message that was he was investigating a rumor that one of the black boxes that Burnham was looking for. So the black box from a destroyed a ship that was destroyed in the burn because so, she's looking for mm -hmm. data about the burn. Uh, he found rumor of, of one being in this one place and he went there and he had programmed the ship to go find her. If she wasn't, if he wasn't back on board within 24 hours and to deliver this message. And, and, and the cat. And, and the cat. You got to have the cat. <laughs> And yet he's when he, farther down the line, he's going to say, I didn't ask for you to come get me. It's like, well, why? What <laughs> was the purpose of your message? Right. right. You send me a message saying I've disappeared mysteriously, but I found this thing you want and you don't expect me to come. And I'm in a dangerous yeah. situation and you don't expect me to come get you. Right. Yeah. And so there's another there's a there's a. Uh, another flaw in the writing in a minute in a minute but i want to uh, address the whole thing so burnham burnham's theory is that the burn didn't happen all at once instantaneously throughout the right. galaxy as they've been told but that had it had a a point of origin that can be traced so mm -hmm. if, if the timing on the ships if you can look at where you know what time it happened the explosion and the location of the ship where it was, you can triangulate where its point of origin was. And so that's what she's trying right. to do by collecting. In, in theory, these, these black boxes are so synchronized down to the microsecond that if all of them immediately went boom at the same microsecond, then yes, it was a universe wide thing. But if it was, if there's like a ripple effect where it went from, you know, this one was at point one and this one was at point two and this one was at point three, then you can say, okay, we can start triangulating where it happened. Right. And we should make it clear this the, because black box can be used in different senses, like black box radiation. Mm -hmm. We're talking black boxes like on an airplane. Right. The yep. flight data recorders that you can use to determine what happened to a ship when it when it 
crashed or exploded or whatever. Right. And she's already got found two of these things Mm -hmm. and they have different times of detonation on them. So that suggests the burn did not happen instantaneously. And if they can find a third, they'll have what they need to triangulate the point of origin. And that gives us. And we we do. Yeah, we we do see her getting one when it's that. That sequence was the beginning of the third episode where it shows her going through her year and she's being handed this thing that looks like a, a large pen or a flashlight. Yeah. Uh, it says NCC 14774 something. And that's what they are. They basically look like a giant, you know, like a large pocket flashlight. Cardassian data rod, maybe? Yeah. Something, yeah, something like that. Like that. Look to me like, like a, like big screw you'd buy in a hardware store (laughs) with the the ridges filed off. Yeah. 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 Uh, And they're theoretically black boxes are theoretically indestructible, quote unquote. Um, And she also a motivation is established here. She thinks the Federation cannot be stabilized until the cause of the burn is determined. Like like we can't save the Federation until we figure out why. There's no explanation why she thinks this, what this has to do with anything, but she's come up with this theory. You can kind of headcanon it of, well, this Federation can't really reestablish itself until they figure out that, first of all, it's not going to happen again. Right. You know, and then also then they can start redeveloping the the infrastructure like the subspace relays and things like that. But also, if someone was responsible for it, they are they are an enemy of the Federation and therefore uh, they will not let us reestablish. But again, they don't say any of this. So we were sort of left out there. They, it's a hole in the writing. It's not necessarily a flaw, but it, in the sense of a mistake, but it's right. a hole. Yep. So, so Saru tells her, no, we can't go get Booker because we're on alert. We're, on, we're the quick reaction force. We're ready to jump at any time in the next 12 hours to Argeth. And so at this point I said, so then why not tell Vance about this new information? So as the boss, he can maybe modify mm-hmm. his orders or come up, do two things at once. And yeah, or Burnham could wait twelve hours because this—it's already been three weeks apparently. since Book yeah. disappeared. He's either alive or not. Twelve hours probably is not going to make the difference. Exactly, exactly. It's going to take three weeks to get back, right? Or does it? Or because it doesn't. That—that that, <laughs> this is the flaw I was talking about. This timing flaw. And Star mm-hmm. Trek has lately has got. Well, I don't even know lately, but Star Trek has had these timing flaws in it for a long time, where the writers seem to ignore the their own time frames that they establish for themselves. So it took three weeks for the ship to, to find her. So maybe it's been wandering around the galaxy looking for her. And that's why it took 12 hours, but it only takes three hours to get back to this planet called Hanha where the where book is. I don't know. It annoyed me. I mean, I, I could, I could see the, the idea of that. The, the, the ship was looking for her because as I said, you know, if, if this ship showed up here, it, knew it needed to be here, but maybe it, it took some time to for the ship to figure it out somehow. It's like a Roomba wandering around yeah. the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As opposed to the intelligent programming, which is go straight back to Starfleet headquarters where you last saw her and where you know she'll be reporting in. Right. Yeah. I don't think he well, was he, ever at Starfleet headquarters. He was, he, he was dropped off at Earth. Yeah. Mm. He, he jumped off at Earth. So, I mean, that, that, that's why I said it, you know, maybe it was more like the ship was trying to trace her down or something. And that's why it took so long. Again, but, it's hmm. implied, but never said. So it's, I, yep, I mean, exactly. we can we can assume. Anyway, she goes to she, Burnham is uh, the, the new Burnham. 
is uh, obviously going to disobey orders uh, because this is who she is now. And the only person on board that she's going to go to, she knows will help her is Giorgio, obviously. So she goes to Giorgio mm-hmm. to go with her. And um, she's clearly, she knows she's going to undermine Saru's legitimacy by going off the reservation like this again. That There's something and wrong Giorgio with Burnham. tells her. Yeah. 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 There's something wrong with Burnham. And Giorgio knows it. Like something has changed in Burnham in this past year. And whether it's something actively wrong or just she's changed as a person enough, but this is not the Burnham we we've known. The this is this is stupid and impulsive, <laughs> right? This right. is you would never get into Starfleet if you had this basic kind of personality problem that prevents you from uh, following orders because you've just got to go get your non boyfriend. And can't Boy, wait twelve yeah. hours when that's not going to make a difference, right? Well, don't don't you know that there's a ticking clock that they don't know about at this point because of him being reassigned to one of those ships in a certain period of time? But of course, they don't know that because they don't find that out until they get there, right? Uh, now, but you got you still got that. You to know. be fair, Burnham doesn't get away with this, so there is a consequence that yes. will that will be levied later. Somewhat, um, there should be more consequence, but <laughs> she is the lead character, so you can't cashier she should be out on her butt yeah she should but they're not going to (laughs) because she's the lead character anyway they took they take bookship there is a nice scene where giorgio confronts uh burnham uh with you're you're in love with him you're you know this is you know the the, your little love nest here and she keeps needling her about it and burnham's like no and then she has that cool uh, the funny uh, freudian slip where she's i think she says this is where he loves love instead of lives yeah Mm-hmm. So, I, I never loved here. Yeah, Instead, I never I loved never here. Lived here. <laughs> I, I like how Giorgio is in critiquing Burnham's romantic interactions is like talking about how the Ash Tyler thing that was always going to end in disaster. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and now you now you're now you're hot for the blob whisperer. And she interprets the blob whisperer as a as a reference to the trance worm. Right. And she said, no, I meant the cat. <laughs> right, the big that main coon cat. The cat that couldn't get lost because it produces its own gravitational force. <laughs> yes, that yeah. that is I I am I, that must be a Maine Coon cat, which is a particular variety of cat. Yeah. And I've I've encountered Maine Coon cats. So those things are huge. They must have like crossbred with bobcats at some point. But uh, yeah, those are those are well, cool. They got cats. something. They got the little tufts on the end of the ear, so it's awesome. Yeah. But Giorgio anyway. is also having flashbacks of a disturbing na- and disorienting nature. Yes, a la Ash, uh, frankly. I mean, that's sort of, I don't know, I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think she's a hidden Klingon or whatever, but right. but it's sort of, it's a it's something that they've used before with Ash, and it's it's what this cataleptic moment is, where she's frozen, mm-hmm. and she's having these involuntary flashbacks, which might be due to glasses from that last episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I think it is due to to Mr. Glasses from the previous episode. Yeah. And it looks like she's remembering someone that she loved that was killed brutally and you know she's touching cuz she's calling to him. Right. And you know touching the blood in her hands and things like that and I was wondering and I didn't freeze frame these to analyze them, but I was wondering if it might be she's being implanted with memories from the prime Giorgio. Hmm. Uh, from the one from this universe. Yes. Yeah. The, she's merging with her consciousness of some sort because she yeah. spent so much time here. You become the person. They they show the Terran that they show the Terran symbols and things like that. 
Okay, weeks. then yeah. it may, then it may be something from the mirror universe that I I just went by too quick for me to catch. Yeah, there, there's there's it, it looks like he's wearing this person that she's calling to or touching is wearing a black Terran armor and the oh, Terran yeah. sword. Okay, with the globe mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, so they're going to this planet called Hanhao, which is uh, the the name is the from the Mayan god of the underworld, by the way. So that's uh, so they're mm-hmm. going to basically Hades <laughs> or hell. Um, and there's a ship graveyard around it, so it's very appropriate for the Mayan god of the underworld. <laughs> and 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 Burnham says that these ship graveyards are all over the place because of the burn. Mm-hmm. And so then, why aren't black boxes all over the place because of the burn? Why don't yeah. you just hang out in some ship graveyards and ship grave rob to get what you want? Well, there's gonna be if this if the ships were not completely blasted into bits uh, with the burn. Then yeah, they must all have black boxes in them. So why are they so rare? That's that's a good yeah. question. Anyway, but uh, they're pretty small, so whether or not you can find them, I'm sure you know after a hundred years, their little tracking beacons have gone out or something. Although the hulls are fairly intact, so they, yeah. they must be like yeah. in a Starfleet vessel. You there know, must be a standard place. If you know where it's located, you could go to that part of the wreckage. Yeah, a little bit of another little bit of oversight in the writing. Uh, yep. Anyway, this is being run by uh, some Orions. Uh, it's a salvage yard staffed by indentured servants or essentially they're slaves. Right. They're slaves. Yeah. Well, yep. they're paying off debts that they can never pay. So, yeah, they're right. slaves. Yeah, they're, they're, they're stuck for the rest of their life. Uh, at one yep. point, uh, yeah, I think it was Giorgio asked if they're, they came from Beta 6. Uh, which is the only planet in here that we've actually seen or at least heard of before in Star Trek. Uh, it was comes from the Squire Gothos. Uh, the Enter- Enterprise was going to deliver supplies there before they got right caught. But yeah, before they got caught so, by Q. I mean, the whatever Trelane was. Yeah, but that, that, <laughs> it, that's literally the only planet that is mentioned anywhere in this episode that has any connection to any previous Star Trek. Right, even remotely. Hunhao, Argeth. Yeah, they're all they're all new names. So Giorgio is pretending to be a salvage buyer. So this they're they're running a scam. They're running a you know a, a bit a, sort of a, a heist sort of thing. Uh, and Burnham is posing as her uh, servant. Um, and at one point when they're walking around through the salvage yard, Burnham says, uh, "We're looking for to buy self sealing stem bolts from the late twenty fourth century." Which anybody who <laughs> oh yeah remembers that DS nine episode will Chief, have a chuckle. Chief O'Brien <laughs> self sealing stem bolts the the great river the, the the Ferengi river of commerce I think I forget what it's called but the uh yes the the self sealing stem bolts they that this is where they find book he has been enslaved um his fr- a friend who was a Bajoran was also enslaved with him um gets executed by head explosion by for stealing a water ration. So we're establishing the ruthlessness and evilness <sighs> of the Orions running it. The The guy running this place is uh, has his job literally by nepotism. He is the nephew yep. of the owner of the field of the yard. So Ooh. I like I, I like how Giorgio intimidates him into giving landing permission. Yes. Um, and it's a really great scene with Giorgio. But then we have in this kind of slave factory warehouse situation, he's a really bad manager Yeah, because this guy, this guy steals a water packet and, and he executes the guy over it. And he does this in this way that tortures him. Mm -hmm. He, he basically um, tells him we haven't yet determined if the security field around this 
warehouse works or not. So if you run through it, your head might not blow up, but then I'm going to shoot you and force you to run towards it. And he runs towards it and eventually his head blows off. And this is the sacrificial character to show us the the stakes. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. But executing someone over a water ration, that is not, I mean... Okay, in countries where slavery exists or has existed, they didn't execute slaves over a water ration. Right. (laughs) They're too valuable. They're sources of labor. You don't just kill somebody because they took a water ration because they were thirsty when you hadn't given them permission to. I mean, they might discipline them, but they don't kill them. So... Either they have an endless supply of slaves, so they actually don't have value, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Or this guy is in extreme fear of loss of control and Mm -hmm. is taking unreasonable steps to try to ensure continued control that will actually prove counterproductive. And that's actually the better reading of this situation because that's exactly what then proceeds to happen. Also, none of these slaves should be necessary anyway because they've got droids. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and and, I mean, they got to show them as this sadistic, you know, their life has absolutely no value whatsoever. And even though he keeps getting basically taken out by uh, Giorgio, but still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think what they're they're clearly establishing him is as this incompetent manager who only has a job because his aunt owns the place. You know, so we we all immediately know what kind of character he is and that he's an idiot, you yep. know, sort of thing. And he's going to be clearly overmatched by Giorgio and Burnham uh, quite quickly. <laughs> uh, there is another character that's here in Orion. I mean, it's an mm-hmm. Andorian uh, who yep. mm-hmm. has had his uh, antenna removed uh, by the 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 owner of this salvage yard of Syra, we never see her, uh, but yep. he was, um, and he is forced to, he had, he had led a revolt or, uh, or at least an, uh, attempted to do an uprising against the Emerald chain. Yes. Basically. And as punishment, he has been forced to become their tool of enslavement. His job is to implant yep. these control pods that explode your head. If you run away, uh, in the necks of, of the slaves. And so, and thus they hate him for being, a collaborator, which is doesn't make sense because he's so an up. interesting connection with him. His name's Rin is the name of the, the, the character mm-hmm. played by Noah Averbach Katz, who happens to be the husband of Mary Wiseman, also known as Tilly. Oh, it's Tilly's. This oh, is Tilly's really? husband. Oh, OK. He's way taller than her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Uh, yeah. Some of us have tall spouses. He, uh, <laughs> not a so I like. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea that his antenna had been cut off. I mean, that's as mm-hmm. a that's that's horrific, right? You know, that would yep. be like being blinded in one eye or rendered deaf in one ear mm. to yep. us. And so that's 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 some effective alien body horror. Um, also, I like how the and it varies from one Andorian to another, but he's got this really really blue skin. Mm-hmm. Which I think is cool. Yep. Um, he's got a and he's got this long white hair, which is okay, fine. And then he's got this really weak beard. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going. Pretty scraggly. I mean, go big or go home, dude. I mean, you could be rock. 
you could be rocking this Papa Smurf look and you're just not cutting it. <laughs> yes, that would be that would be good. Papa Smurf. Um, it, it turns out uh, that, uh, by the way, that uh, Noah Averbarkatz is a uh, his mom was a big time Trekkie and he, he yep. she dragged him to all kinds of Star Trek conventions. And that's what helped him. He helped Mary Wiseman audition for Discovery because of all the hmm. Star Trek knowledge. He's also the dungeon master for the the casting crew uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Just so you know, that's awesome. A little bit of background. Yeah, it, it sounds like he, he's he's pretty much a geek himself. And this was, you know, you look at his yeah. Twitter timeline, and he talks about how this was this was huge honor for him to be even just you know <laughs> yeah. one one episode. And and how many of us as, as Star Trek fans oh. even just have the walk on role where you just walk down the 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 corridor of the ship somewhere right and that's literally your your five seconds on star trek would be like i was on star trek <laughs> yeah totally totally uh <laughs> so back on discovery we get this yeah. scene mean me, meanwhile mary sue i mean uh adira <laughs> yes. has mm-hmm. has uh changed stuff around yeah has fixed everything <laughs> and and changed the spore drive without permission so that it no longer requires uh stamets's arm shunts to use it yep so that raises the question so why do we need stamets anymore does does there well, something special he still about needs him? a connection yeah he still needs the connection with the the tardigrade dna but okay. what this does instead of going you know you know injecting you know a uh, uh, matrix style into his forearm instead he puts his hand in this this cyber gel that yeah. the the, the uh, makes the same connection the telepathic gel of the from the tardis <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just what it looks like um the, meanwhile, uh, no one has noticed Burnham's absence uh, in all this time. <laughs> like the first officer is, until, is missing. Until, well, and, and, until until Tilly finds the cat, right? The, uh, the in cat her is, quarters. In her quarters, right? Um, Saru admits he hasn't mistrusted. He, he's talking to Tilly, and he admits to her that he hasn't mistrusted Burnham this much since the the Shenzhou incident at the Battle of the Binary yep. Stars. Uh, and it's Tilly of all people who tells him that Burnham. He, she like yeah. takes his she, side. And, yeah, she yeah. tells him, you've totally got to go to the Admiral and throw Michael under the bus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's put you in an impossible position. And so Tilly being a good Starfleet officer, that we, as we know she is. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I, I like where she tries to do the, well, you know, if I was in the same position and Saru's like, no, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you, you wouldn't do the same thing. Right. You wouldn't be. You wouldn't even yeah. come close. Yeah. But Tilly makes the excellent point. If you don't tell the Admiral and he finds out from anybody other than you he's going to read you as covering for Michael and that's going to tarnish everybody on this ship because we we're still earning our place in Starfleet and he's going to view us all through the lens of Michael Burnham. If you don't distance all of us from Michael Burnham. Right. Right. Which, which this is, I think this is a good move for the show is she's, this is the second episode now where she's getting taken down a notch. Yep. You know, and it, it does end up literally being taken down a notch, at least in the hierarchy of the ship. Right. And uh, I, I think that's 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 a good thing for the show. I mean, I, you know, they're not going to make her the like a secondary character after this point. No, but, she's still the lead. But they've always said, she, you know, they're, they're in this series. It's not about the captain. It's about the people lower down on the ranks of the ship. Right. And so that's the clearly she'll never be captain. Well, I, I never say never, but. Uh, not in the short she term. She may anyway. she may mutiny at some point, maybe later this season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's given the way things are going. I wouldn't uh, rule it out. 
Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> speaking of mutinies, Giorgio and Burnham, they engineer a uh, slave revolt led by Booker, and they end up disabling the the Orion leader. His name's Tolor. Um, and in in the midst of this... That's like a kind of chocolate chewy candy, right? Tolor. Yes. Tolor, he's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. he's the Toblerone of Orions. Uh, so he's... Uh, <laughs> They're they're back on Booker's ship, and and meanwhile, like when they're as Burnham is fighting with him, Giorgio is supposed to come to a rescue, and she's again disabled temporarily by this PTSD or whatever it is. Uh, these flashbacks are, and at one yeah. point, and, and it's it's crucial that she help because right. um, Michael is keeping Toblerone, you know, busy, but they need to get the the clicker from his uh, from his clothing right. to turn off the slave head blowing right. up field. Yes, as because the slaves are now leaving as part of the jailbreak, and their heads mm-hmm. will blow up if they don't turn off the head blowing up field. Yes, well, and it it shows how incompetent this guy is. Is when when uh, Giorgio mentions the the this remote control for it. He keeps touching it under his, like, you know, in his jet, in his breast pocket of his jacket. Yeah. It's still here. Yeah. yeah. It's not in my office. It's sitting right here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, at one point in one of her flashbacks, I have a note that she does say the name or word San San S A N. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so perhaps the name of the, person whose body is that's yeah that's, that's what I, that's what i was thinking that it was the per either the you know like a loved one or somebody that she was really close to or betrayed. that was killed yeah tragically or betrayed yes. or, yeah stepped over to get to <laughs> uh so <laughs> yeah. the so so as the jailbreak is occurring you have all these people running and shooting at each other yep. and Rin takes a hit for book yep jumps in at front one point yep and gets injured. Also, you've got Michael. So uh, Michael and Giorgio get control of Book's ship. They defeat Toblerone yep. and then yep. um, and they take down the field and then they're driving in, a, in some very Star Wars-esque cinematography. Yep. They have his ship like flipped on its side, flying through a narrow space, yep. just like in Empire Strikes Back. And and it, as it's going, it's it's shooting the guards who were shooting mm-hmm. the escape yeah. escaped slaves. And there's a really cool moment where it zooms in front of everybody and like comes apart and reassembles itself in a new configuration. Yes. Yeah. Which was which was really cool. Um, I couldn't help wondering, though. Why are the Emerald Chain goons continuing to try to stop the jailbreak? Once the <laughs> giant laser firing spaceship shows up in the sky, why aren't they fleeing for cover? Right. Yeah. Apparently, the, these guys do not care about dying. Just like in the first episode of the season where they they kept chasing them right into the into the weapons fire and getting disintegrated. Like these guys just have yeah. no fear of dying, apparently. Uh, well, I mean, it is does so- create the opportunity for some great special effects where you know when it's a direct hit they just get vaporized there's nothing there Dust, they're gone there's black smoke where they're standing uh anyway at, after everything is resolved and they, they everyone gets away burnham does confront giorgio about her seizures of whatever it is and tries to get her to trust her to help her whatever is causing this and she says like you're not in the terran universe anymore you can trust me and a vulnerability is not a death sentence, she says. Right, right. And she kind of throws it back at her like, yeah, I remember someone just like you who looked 
looked and sounded just like you uh, once telling, you know, giving her my trust and having her betray me uh, like her yep. mirror, like uh, Burnham's mirror universe counterpart did. Uh, so that you, I can see where she might have some trust issues like getting over that. It is, it is mm. nice to see Giorgio vulnerable, though. Yes. I mean, as much fun as Giorgio is because of how much salt she's carrying around. Yeah. <laughs> it is nice to see her vulnerable, too. Right. right. Yep. Uh, by the way, uh, Toblerone does escape. So we, we may see yeah. him again at some point. Yeah. As, as soon as she grabs his, uh, as, as soon as uh, the clicker. Giorgio grabs his clicker, yeah. he immediately hits his per- personal transporter and disappears. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, his his aunt, uh, Auntie Osiris, is probably not going to be all that happy with him, but uh, we'll see how that goes for him. Uh, meanwhile, be interesting if we if we see him again, but it's just just his head on a pipe. <laughs> that's yep. yeah. Uh, meanwhile, that's uh, back on Discovery, Stamets um, talks to Mary Sue, who's talking to herself. Uh, I'm sorry, Adira in the in the uh, lunchroom. <laughs> who appears to be talking to herself. And I, I do like that they don't go in the usual direction where it's like, there's something mentally, you know, she has mental imbalance or something. He just kind of says, look, my, my husband is, was dead and came back to life. So I'm willing to believe whatever. And we're a thousand years in the future. I'm willing to believe whatever you tell me is going yeah. on. So I was what's gonna say, going have on? you looked at, have you looked at how things have gone on this ship? I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, mental illness would probably be the, the sanest explanation right. of the bunch. Right. Uh, she does explain that she's, She's carrying her boyfriend's so, soul in the in the symbiont, or or she's having she's having an experience of Gray's presence, and that's what Stamets right. figures out that yeah. she's she's having something going on, and she acknowledges really quickly that she is experiencing Gray as if Gray is still present yes. with her, mm-hmm. and she speculates it's because he, he she's a human. And maybe human trill joinings don't work quite the same way. Right. Um, or at least they're not in her case. Yes. But then they proceed to have this conversation and um, about their respective abilities. And it becomes so Mary Sue so fast. Yeah. Where she is talking to Stamets about how, you know, he's really essential to the ship. Mm-hmm. And she says, you're kind of you're kind of like the bomb, meaning you're really good and essential. Yeah. And and he says, well, I was until you showed up. Right. Mary yeah. Sue. And so, oh, Mary Sue. And I wonder, I wonder how they're going to how, how they're going to be able to handle this, though. No show can handle having two Mary Sue's. The two Mary Sue's are going to rip the show apart. Right. I mean, it's, it's like it's like two black holes getting on either side of a planet. It's just going to rip the planet apart. Well, in the same way, you know, two Mary Sues will just rip the ship apart. Wait, wait, who's the and, other and, Mary Sue that we're talking about? Is Michael. My, oh, Michael. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> they continue to pound the Mary Sue theme in a later scene where she has mer- allegedly miraculously removed Stamets' arm shunts. Right. And it's like, wait. Because uh, he now can just stick his hands in the goo. Right. Okay. Well, hang on, hang on. Couldn't Culber remove the arm shunts and regenerate that right. flesh? It obviously was I, not yeah. impacting his ability to use his hands. So the uh, muscles are all still there. And co- it's just a cosmetic thing with a dermal regenerator. And consequently, Culber should be able to do this. And instead, he's marveling over Adira and she and she's only 16, he says. So we're just hammering the Mary Sue quality of this character. 
I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree with your entire rant because they didn't imply that Adira actually removed the shunts, but that she made it able to have them removed. He's talking to Culber. Culber could have been the one to do it. Anyways, at no point did they say that she actually had the shunts removed, but that she made it eligible or made it available to do it. Actually, no. They, at the end of the mess hall scene... Yeah. She takes Stamets's arm. Now she's already done the the space goo. Yeah. So that made the shunts unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But then she she takes his arm and has his sleeve up and is looking at the shunt and says, I think I can help you with this. Right. So the implication is I can now remove the shunts, having already rendered them you unnecessary in a previous scene right no, I, I took that i took that differently but uh-huh. anyway i took it the way oh, Jimmy no, did. Anyways, not- i mean and that's what the bug me is like well wouldn't the the culber or at least the dr pollard the chief medical officer have done the surgery involved like it just yeah. seemed, seemed strange so, anyway yeah but it <laughs> but nevertheless it's still the 16 year old girl who makes it possible for stamets to be whole again well, she, and, she's a like, trill and of course trills know everything right um by, by the way, one thing I think we forgot to or we forgot about uh, when we were talking uh, about her being able to see her her boyfriend is this actually has been seen before when um, Esri Dax was having to deal with the memories of Jaron, the the evil yeah. Dax host. Yeah. She actually did see him in this way where it wasn't like he took over somebody else's body, but she actually saw him in right. the room and interacted with him in the room. So she, she, she did the right of emergence to bring that about though. And, yeah. and Adira is, n- is not doing the right of emergence. Yeah. is not doing but the, right it's of the same but, effect. But yeah. It's the same effect. So, I mean, it, it's there, there isn't without precedent. It's That's just true. why the question now is why is this an ongoing thing versus a, you know, one time deal. I'm kind of hoping that there's a, there's a bigger reason than just she's human and, and carrying a trill symbiont that there is some or, external force that's involved here. Oh, I'm sure there's going to be a, their love was so strong. Mm, I, I'd rather just be a, like a bad guy <laughs> doing something. Yeah. <laughs> frankly, uh, like this is actually some like alien being that's infecting her mind or something. Yeah, or whatever's responsible for the burn or something that, that there's more to it than just, I don't, our love. That'd be nice, but I, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it. So, meanwhile, Michael and the Blob Whisperer have their first kiss. Yes, the most unsurprising yep. development uh, in this whole season <laughs> is that they are, um, you know, they actually romantically are romantically involved. Yeah, um, I guess. Although, again, you have you have Linus popping in the middle of it because you have to have that awkward moment. We need the comedy uh, uh, interruption of the romantic moment. Yeah. Um, at least he doesn't sneeze in their face as he does it. Which would <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, now. Perhaps my the most satisfying scene in this episode is Vance dressing down both Saru and Burnham. Saru for not yep. coming to him, as I said in the beginning, with this new intel so that he can, as Chief Commander Chief of Starfleet, make decisions for everyone's good. Uh, that's yep. his job. So and then he dresses down Burnham, of course, for going rogue uh, and leaves her punishment up to Saru, which I think. Um, he also says the only reason you're not in the brig is that you saved lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So he would have taken action if 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 that had not occurred. Right. But since it did occur, he's going to let uh, Saru deal with her. Yes. And then uh, his punishment is, is do to I can't trust you anymore. So you're no longer first officer. You're just going to be chief science officer. And then she says, Saru, you're doing the right thing. At which point he should respond. 
I don't need you to tell me I'm doing the right thing. I'm the captain, and I just need you yeah. to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> That's would be the end of it. But he does. It actually would have been good or something. It's like you might want to learn what that looks like. <laughs> right, right. You know, some little slam where it's like, yeah, and you don't. Yes. Uh, so, but I did, I did really like that scene with Vance. I'm actually really starting to like Vance as a as a character. Well, I, I like especially since he doesn't even really dress her down. It's like, now, what do you think I'm about to tell you? Yes, that's a very. And dad then every moment. time, it's like <laughs> you're absolutely right, and you know better than this. Yes. And so after Saru, at least for the moment, demotes Michael. Mm-hmm. Our very last thing before we fade to black is Michael takes off her comm badge. Mm -hmm. And that is likely a symbolic action of her at some point later this season, leaving Starfleet. Mm. Possibly even next episode by the looks of some of the the previews. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they've been hinting at it. I mean, clearly the character has been uh, one foot out the door this whole season. In a sense, you know, she's not been acting like a Starfleet officer. She's been uh, acting on her own. So clearly she's been heading that way. So that's interesting. The question is then uh, what is who's going with her? What ramifications will that have for the larger story? That sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see anything else to say. Any other notes on this episode? Father Corey? Well, you know, the, you know, of course, with the detachment cells of the Discovery, I wonder if they're going to show them reattaching before they jump. You know, it'd be mm. kind of interesting, you know, to have that kind of where they have to reattach and then the ship can jump. Yep. Uh, some of the new uniforms look like the the motion picture uniforms, the one that the lieutenant that was training up the Discovery crew oh, look yeah. like uh, updated versions of the the uh, white uh, TMP bodysuits with the little <laughs> belt, fake belt buckle. Yep. Um. You keep talking about the Bajoran exchange. I wonder if they'll ever touch on how the Bajorans went from being, you know, the wormhole uh, front door to this massive uh, trader trading organization, trading if you post, will, yeah. trading, trading post. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to, to see that. Cool. Uh, Jimmy? I thought this episode was less stupid than other recent episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I, I like this one, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed it. I did. Yeah, there there was a lot more. I mean, is it any coincidence that it had a lot more Giorgio in it than other recent episodes? She's <laughs> uh, actually for for me that was not it. It was just the number. In fact, I was concerned when they made this a a Giorgio Michael, you know, buddy pick. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, I knew that Giorgio would be enjoyable, but it's not. It's not what make me what makes me think this is less stupid. I think they just have, even though there were logic gaps in this, there were fewer than in other recent episodes. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I, 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 I was thinking the same thing as I watched it. Like this was less, uh, had less problems. I, I think part of it is also less, there was less Adira in it. And frankly, I just, I kind mm-hmm. of find like it's, it's the Wesley syndrome. You, you've got this kid mm-hmm. who solves everything. And why do we need a Starfleet crew? So it's that, same problem so we had less of that although she's still there causing problems but but uh yeah and and like you said fewer of the logic rational rational explanation uh, problems of the writing of the last couple episodes the first two episodes of the season were great the next few were not as good but this one uh is better back back and i hope we get more of that 
So next week, the Romulans and Vulcans get together and decide to make a civilization. Yeah, Unification 3, which is interesting. That's the title mm-hmm. of it. So we'll have to see. Because as we said before, Unification 1 and 2 were the TNG episodes about about Spock's mission to bring them together. So maybe, yeah, maybe the Romulans and the Vulcans have finally fixed things up and they're back together again. We haven't seen any Vulcans in New Starfleet, have we? No, no, no. So that's interesting. And there's there's some speculation that the Vulcans were one of the first to break away from the Federation. They never liked us the, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those Vulcans. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess uh, that's a preview for next time. So let's uh, wrap things up here and take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Stephen B, Irving N. Jacob J, Jacqueline B, and Kathy N. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So what did you think of this episode of Discovery Scavengers? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And as we said, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode, Unification 3. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Tom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, salvage this. <laughs>